Hey everyone, this is Rita Springer and welcome to the Rita Springer podcast. We're on episode two today of a series that I'm really excited about. I have a lot of passion about it called Creative Expression. And I spent episode one very winded talking a lot about um, just this subject and what I think this subject really is. It's, it's really about the artistry of God, seeing God outside of just a big, huge being sitting on a throne that we say yes to and then we pay homage to and really taking him never in any way um, off the throne, but taking him in all of his fullness and, and really understanding that he's a God of art. He's a God of artistry. He's a God of, of physics. He's a God of frequencies. He's a God of all of these really beautiful attributes that make up who we are because we're made in his image. And so, yeah, we're just going to discuss that. Now, keep in mind, I'm, I do these podcasts at home. So, occasionally you'll hear my dog lapping water out of her bowl or um, shaking herself off, which she just did a few minutes ago, but it's in real time. It's in, it's in a real house and um, around my real kitchen table. So you get all of the goings on um, in my house as well. So just bear with me sometimes when you hear maybe my son's music playing from the upstairs, who knows what it will be. Um, normally I tell justice that he can't create or can't make music while I'm doing a podcast downstairs. So, and we're in the summer months now, so he is creating quite a lot, but that's fine. Anyway, um, you know, I left you guys off, uh, with this subject on the sixth day, I really kind of went in. I love the word. I love the Bible. I love theology. I just think that without it, we don't have a compass, really, and and we need that compass. Uh, but the more that we understand the Word, the more that we understand the God of the Word and the multifaceted God of the Word, we come into a context in our relationship with Him where we actually you know, can bust out of some walls that we've built around Him and really see, oh my gosh, He's more than I thought He was. He's not just you know, this thing I pray to, he's actually walking with me, talking with me and expressing himself to me the way that I can hear him. And that is key to all of us in our Christian faith and those that are coming into faith um, to understand that, that religion or faith as it is, if you're coming into it just to kind of have a segue from uh, a, a dark part of your life and find hope, that's great. But that hope that he offers is not a hope just kind of in print. It's actual living, breathing hope. And it comes from a living, breathing artist of a God. And so I'm trying to wrap our brains around this necessary creator who creates in the beginning of scripture and lays a foundation for all things that we walk around with a normalcy about like everything outdoors, the sky, the trees, the land, the sea, all of those things that it's just normal for us to walk under that canopy of, and we don't really understand how it relates to us from the one, two, three, four, five days to that sixth day. I just, I think the Bible is a bookend of creativity. So you've got the first bookend of Genesis and this elaborate, you know, this elaborate, crazy, maybe fanatical in a sense, 
just awesome artistic painter who's throwing, you know, planets and calling planets as they are and, and calling vault skies and separating the vaults from, from the sea and pooling the water into places. And, you know, I believe he did all that. And I believe he did all that. And on the sixth day, he does this thing that he wants um, that first five days to be the canopy over. And there's a power in that. There's a, there's a, a power in what he's doing. There's a power in the fact that he put his image in us to carry this thing. And the only thing different between, again, that first five days and the sixth day is the fact that he gave the, the sixth day choice, which sometimes I, you know, those questions that you ask yourself, if it were me and God would have asked me what, what, what would I've done? I would have just been like, don't, talk about the tree. Like, don't, don't ever talk about that tree in the garden. Don't, don't give us the choice. Just don't do it. Like, it's not going to go great. Don't do it. But there is something so beautiful about the reason that he does. There's something so powerful in why he, why he does it. And I haven't wrapped my brain fully around all of it yet, but I, I'm asking, seeking, knocking all the time, just being like, man, what were you thinking when you did this? And what were you thinking when you did this? And, you know, when I dive into scripture because I want to teach something or when I feel like God wants to show me something, I, I sometimes I'll sit in a verse for a while and just pick it apart. And yes, go to commentaries. Yes, seek out Strong's, you know, the, the, um, you know, the Greek meanings to things, the Hebrew meanings to things. Um, but a lot of times I had just have these conversations with God and I'm like, well, what were you actually saying here? Like, what were you actually doing here? And it's, it's been really kind of mind blowing for me to realize that in, in these conversations that I've had with the Lord about pieces of scripture, there's always this creative force that's behind it. There's always something he wants to say. The book ends when you see scripture in its entirety, if you've been able to get through the whole book, but if you know enough about it to where you're like, yeah, there's the old Testament and all the old stories of the old ruins and the old way. And it sets up in this prophetic picture, the coming of a Messiah that's actually going to turn everything upside down and change the whole thing. But that guy's going to get, you know, slaughtered on a cross, but then three days later, he's going to resurrect himself. And, and then you'll see the entire um, the entire scripture from that moment of resurrection all the way back to Genesis become this prophetic loop, uh, you know, detailing the mercy, the goodness, the kindness, and the redemption of God and making salvation, um, salvation like this, this, you know, banner that's been waving the whole time. We just didn't know what it, really what it was about. You know, God's here to save us. He's here to save us. But then all of a sudden Jesus appears and you're like, oh my gosh, there's the prophetic picture of what God was actually saying in the beginning of Genesis when he, when he um, looks at the enemy and he curses the enemy before he ever deals with the sin of Adam and Eve, he curses the enemy. And he says, you know, one day the thing that comes out of her is going to crush your head with his heel. I think that's brilliant. It's, it's a brilliant story that he's telling. And unless you're, you know, unless you're just picking apart scripture for what you need and you're not actually understanding the whole story, the whole story consecutively goes together. And it's this art piece. It's the show piece, this massive book of revelation. It's this massive book of illustration, of articulation, of artistry, of design. Um, and it, it's, 
really, really just incredibly quite profound. You know, when, when you start to even um, uh, study artists, like actual artists in scripture, you know, you've got, um, you've got Jubal, who is said to be like this, this musician, and, then, and that's in Genesis, and then in Exodus, I think 31, you've got um, uh, Bezalel, who is, you know, it's, it's when they called the, the, the chief artisan, he was a chief, a chief artisan um, of the tabernacle in the building of the Ark of the Covenant. So <clears throat> God is very, very strategic in how he plants and uses um, artistry in scripture and artists in scripture. And so I'm, I'm trying to actually set this picture of how important it is, what is in you, what are parts of you that maybe haven't even been discovered yet, like treasure that's going to be uncovered, where we have to be very, very careful in our language of saying, oh, I, I don't have that. I don't have a creative bone in my body. I was never given to that. I, I can't do that. There's no way. I'm not a picture taker. I'm not, I can't paint a picture. I'm a horrible drawer. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do this. And we have to recognize, wait, why are we why are we saying these random things because we've never taken the time to actually do them or because we actually think we have no gift or talent or because somebody's actually told us you don't have a, you know, a creative lick in your body to even do those kind of things. I understand when people are tone deaf and they can't carry a tune, like it's hard for them to sing on pitch. That may be not what your gift is, but for us to, to almost cancel out all these other things because we haven't met up with the thing that lights us on fire is an injustice that we're doing to ourselves. I, yes, I had gifting as a kid. I was very artistic. I was dramatic. I knew I wanted to be an actress. I was very good at it. I was really good at um, singing. I, I learned how to play the piano to, to fit how I was singing. Um, I wouldn't call myself a great musician by any stretch of the imagination because I'm around incredible musicians and there is a difference. Um, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not classically, I was classically trained by a classical pianist, but the, the theory of music was just something that I didn't really spend time um, mulling over. Like I, I understood the basics of it, but if you want to be a, you know, a um, very, very, you know, classically trained, sincere in your craft, theoretical in precision um, piano player, you're going to have to like study in a whole different way. I, I didn't have a desire to do that. I did what I felt like I needed to do to open up that volume in my life. I play a little guitar. I haven't picked up the guitar in years, but I will tell you that I felt very strongly years ago, um, just before I bought a guitar that the Holy Spirit said to me, there are certain songs that will never come out of you unless you pick up the guitar. And I remember there was a season that I had where um, I was feeling like I needed to do another project. Um, this was back in you know 2009, 2010, and um, the Holy Spirit just said, hey, look, you're not allowed to sit behind an instrument when you write these songs. And that was perplexing to me, and I didn't know what the Lord was doing, and he was moving me into a whole different dimension of what I'm talking about now because my whole, I felt like three, 
compartments of my brain began to open up and start firing. And I was like, wait a second. Like, I didn't know that you could do that. And so I'm really trying to inspire people here to understand that we were we were created for something more than we have actually given ourselves credit for. Our bodies carry a frequency in their humanity, in their structure, in their physical structure that actually relates to scripture and to the spirit of the Lord. And that we are walking, living, breathing testimonies in frequency, vibration, and physics that actually testify to scripture. And I, I know that's a lot to grab to wrap our brains around, but if you just allow yourself to to go to these places and be like, oh, okay, well, yeah, maybe that, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be saying what I'm saying about myself because I've never tried to remodel a house. I mean, I don't know how to remodel a house. I certainly don't know how to remodel a house. I never thought I could decorate a house, but I started having these, just these encounters. I call them encounters because I don't know what else to call them, but I just would converse with the Lord. And I think a lot of this stuff um, happens when we begin to actually walk and talk and relate with God on a one-on-one basis. In episode one, I talked about the knock, knock, knock. God, are you there? It's me. Um, Can we have a conversation? I don't know if you're really busy. A lot of people treat their relationship with God like they're bothering him all the time. When God designed us. I mean, keep in mind, everything that I've been talking about is these, the first five days of the articulation of God creating the universe, creating shape, sound, how everything works and still works today with not the help of man, but everything works the way God intended it to work. And then he creates this six day experience and he, he gives the governing to the sixth day. And what he wants the attention of more than anything is the sixth day. And so when the sixth day comes knock, knock, knocking and treats him like he's like this pious, you know, king that's unobtainable, that, that, that the subjects just bow to him all the time and have no real fundamental relationship with him, then we only see God from a viewpoint of service, serve, 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 service and serve, service and serve, service and serve, and submission, submission, submission. And a lot of our religious organizations paint God to be this picture. But isn't it interesting that, you know, if you take the Catholic faith, for example, to me, the Catholic faith in its traditionalism and in its cathedrals and in its form of devotion, it is one of the most beautiful structures. Some of the most beautiful cathedrals are Catholic churches. Some of the most well thought out, still standing churches that are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of year old are these absolutely stunning pieces of artwork. And when you read scripture and you read the detail that God has in the Old Testament to even building the tabernacle, like it's detail. Like he's not just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like grab some of that stone, grab some of this stone, come up with a design, you know, just do whatever. Let's have a, let's, let's see which one of you on this street can build the biggest tabernacle and I'll judge between which church is the prettiest. He had one plan, one, um, temple. He asked Solomon to build this thing. You know, he asked Moses to build this thing. He asked Solomon to build this thing. He asked David to, to acquire this stuff. He's, he's articulate in what he's asking for. He doesn't say, 
grab some of that wood, grab some of that wood. He's in detail saying, get this amount of this, put this amount of this, put this amount of this, do this here, do this here. And they, they fashioned it the way that he'd asked for it to be done. I mean, have, have we and our relationship with God ever stopped to, to look at that and, and not see it. It's just the edifice of some of our Christian belief systems and the structures from, from the, from the, you know, the, the buildings that we go in and out of. Why was it so important for God to have such artistry in building a building where he could house his presence? Everything he does is this supernatural creative expression. And we have to start relating to God as an artist as well as to God as the king of the universe because he's all of those things in one. And if we only meet him in one category, then we miss this whole other facet of who he is, which is a dimension of him that actually speaks to part of the imagery in us that he's created us in his imagery. And there's a part of that artistic design in us that actually when we start functioning in that, we give off this sense of God's creative expression back to him. And, and this blows my mind. This kind of stuff blows my mind. I mean, I could talk about this stuff all day long because it's so, I'm so passionate, passionate about it. I mean, it would take just, it would be really great actually to do a whole podcast on structure and buildings and paintings. And I mean, you know, that's such a great subject to to move into um, and, and everything art, right? And what I'm trying to do in this series is get you to, to just think maybe differently than you've ever thought before. When I, when I was in Dallas, I was part of a very large staff and there was um, a pastor on staff, a gal, this incredible revivalist on staff at Gateway Church in Dallas. And she um, came to my office one day and she said, man, there's this there's this kind of therapist doctor I want you to go visit. And um, I said, well, yeah, tell me about him. Tell me about him. And she was telling me about, he's this African guy um, from uh, Zimbabwe living there. And he was a right brain therapist. And I was fascinated by, by her explanation of him. I was like, oh my gosh, like brain therapy, that fascinates me. I, I couldn't tell you even at that time that I was like, this is why it fascinates me. But I had opened myself up to be like, I don't know, I just think God's different than I thought he was. He's not losing his credibility. He's not losing his deity. In fact, it's only getting stronger, but the facets of him are opening my brain up to be like, why have I put God in this one position when... I'm feeling all these things and I'm not feeling all these things because he's not a part of those things. Like I'm feeling those things to the intensity that I'm feeling those things. And I'm not talking about things that lead you to sin that I'm talking about that the pulsating stuff in me. That's like, I don't think this is enough. Like I don't think leading worship and writing songs and doing it the way they've always done it before is enough. Like there's gotta be something more. Is there something, can I write a better song? You know, do I have to go to school to learn a craft? And if somebody else's textbooks teach me how to write the craft better, I could. Yes, I could. I could do that. And I could get better at a craft, but that's better at somebody else's interpretation of how the craft works. So segue right here into music just on a rabbit trail right now. But 
when we as artists, as, as writers, as songwriters, write a song, and we're writing in an industry. So I'm not talking just about, um, you know, worship leaders who write songs for their congregations. Uh, yes, there's politics involved in that. But when we're in an industry, someone has, I don't, I can't tell you who that someone is. I haven't found them yet. But someone has put in place a rule book. And that rule book says that in order for your song to be sung by these kind of people, it has to go like this, sound like this, be like this, be this many minutes long, have this kind of a, a certain second intro, and it's got to be palatable for, and let's talk about the church here, palatable for um, the church to sing it on Sunday mornings. Now, if you're going to write radio songs, there's a whole other manual for that. And if they're going to be mainstream secular songs, there's a whole other manual for that. And so these things cross culture each other and they cross each other's paths. But somebody has written a manual to say, this is how it works. This is how you do it. You can get on Amazon right now and buy a million books and the books on songwriting, they're all great books. There are great instructions in there for beginners, for um, mediocres, for ones that have been in a long time. The craft of it can be taught and taught and learned and learned and learned. And you can actually get better and better and better um, off of somebody else's information that did something that made them noticed in their craft and then they began to teach the craft. I mean, that's how we learn in colleges and in schools and somebody's teaching us these things and, and we learn that there's nothing wrong with that. But when I'm talking about um, broadening your horizons with the way that the Lord has spoken and the way God brings you into things and these, these facets of the nature and the artistry of God opening up when we're like, huh, hmm, you know, the Lord, you're the greatest songwriter there ever was. I mean, you know, if, if I were to go on YouTube and, and just type in on YouTube the sound of the planets or the sound of the galaxy, you know, they have microphones that they put all in there. And it's fascinating to listen to this stuff. I mean, this one, I couldn't tell you which exactly one it was because there are so many out there. But this one, when you listen to it, it, it sounds like this orchestra, like tuning up. It's phenomenal. And when you listen to stuff like that and you're like, okay, wait, this ain't in no manual. Like no man made that sound up. Man cannot take credit for that sound. So I'm talking about actually veering off into the supernatural, the spiritual side of this, and actually going to the artisan himself, going to the creator himself and saying, hey, I'm stuck in this songwriting thing. And can you open me up? And that's basically kind of what happened to me in all this. I felt like the Lord, I started inviting the Lord into different conversations. And what I was hearing was just fascinating. And then I would say, okay, show me a scripture for that. Okay, show me a scripture for that. And then when I actually started finding scriptures where I was like, oh my gosh, this actually, this actually makes sense. I, again, you know, the emoji with the, with the brain kind of blowing out. It's like my brain was just kind of being blown out. And so when, when this pastor came and, and she's like, I think you need to just go, cause it's fascinating for you go to see this doctor. This this beautiful doctor, I want to want to probably butcher his name, but Dr. Mungazi in Dallas, Texas, and he's he's written a book called The Right Brain Therapy, and so you basically you go into his office, and 
on your appointment, your first appointment, he'll hand you a eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper with a pen drawing of a child's profile. And in the child's head is all of the compartments to the brain. And then he hands you a pack of 24 crayons and he says, Hey, color this. And I'll come back in a few minutes and I'll take you back to the office and we'll talk about it. And so it's very kind of odd. If you've never been through anything like that, it's a very kind of odd experience. You're like, how, like you're waiting for the instruction of, do I color this all in one color? Do I, and his response is no, 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 no. Just color it randomly the way you would choose to color something. It, choose whatever you want to choose. And so I sat down, I, I, um, I colored this thing and then he comes back out and he brings me back to his office and he just studies that, what he calls a brain map. And he studies that map for a while and he looks up at me because this guy doesn't have any, he doesn't have any information on me except that I was a pastor at the church down the street and I wanted to meet with him. He's, nobody's told him information about me at all or anything. And he studies this map and he looks at this map and he, he kind of looks up at me and he says, you lost a parent when you were what, about eight or nine years old. And I gasp. I mean, I looked at this doctor. At this point, it was like, this is not about, you know, my father dying when I was nine. This is about how did you just know that? Now, I am around a lot of very gifted supernatural people. I, uh, I'm very well acquainted with the prophetic gift. Um, I love it. I understand it. I understand it as a gift of encouragement and uh, a gift of courage thrown on people. I operate in it. I love it. Um, it's been an incredible conduit between the Lord and I and how the Lord wants to um, use me to encourage people or speak to me through it. So I have a very balanced approach. Remember, if you listen to the first three podcasts, I talk a lot about the word balance. For me, it's balance, 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 balance. The thing that's kept me equal and kept me understanding of kind of all sides of everything is that I, I have this streamline of balance where I pull everything back and say, ooh, that's like a teeter-totter. That's got more weight on that side. God, bring me back to center. Like, bring me back to center. That, and the Lord has always been faithful to bring me back to center. And so anything with the prophetic, you know, I think has to be done in a really beautiful balance. The prophetic is also a very creative gift. The gifts of the spirit are all very creative gifts, which is another subject of how we learn about the gifts of the spirit. And all of those things are creative in their own right. And so I'm in this doctor's office and I'm, I'm looking at him and I'm like, what? And he said, well, you colored it here on this map. And I said, I colored it. And he said, yeah, you, you colored your trauma. The, the brain is a map for everything that you hold in your body. And your brain, the compartments of these brains all have functions. And he said, when you reach for a color in that box, you're reaching for a color that actually tells the story of what has happened or what is happening in your life. And my mind was starting to just be blown by this guy. Like I was, I was being blown away by this guy and I was all in, like maybe some of his patients aren't all in, but I was like all in. And I was like, I want to know how you do this. And he just began to very beautifully talk to me about Jesus. 
And, you know, we talk about the bookends of scripture, right? So we got Genesis in the beginning of scripture. And in Genesis, you've got this explosion of this artist that comes on the scene and his name is God. And he's throwing planets. He's speaking light. He's speaking, you know, separation. He's crafting and putting things everywhere. He's doing all this stuff. And then he picks up some dirt on the sixth day and he he makes this being, and then he pulls a bone out of the dust in the sixth day. And he makes this female. He forms and then he fashions, scripture says, which are two different meanings there. But, you know, he's talking to me about this Jesus that I was like, my, my, my brain hadn't encountered that Jesus yet. And he's referencing like this, this biblical contrast in scripture of this story that doesn't contradict itself at all. It, it sometimes feels like it does when it talks about certain things, especially in in um, the New Testament, but it's this beautiful story from start to finish. But the bookends are Genesis, this explosion, and then all of a sudden we got Revelation. You want to talk about Revelation? Revelation is like a George Lucas film when you think about it. I mean, you've got creatures, you've got eyes, you've got wings, you've got all kinds of weird stuff going on. John is in this place in this dream he's having this encounter with god and he can't even describe it like there's not even words to describe what he's encountering because he's encountering these these beings but he's encountering this throne he's encountering this glassy sea and these colors everywhere and all this kind of stuff going on and the book ends to this book that is our manuscript for our faith is just littered with creative expression. He starts it with the bang and he ends it with the bang. And then when you start reading all the in-between stuff, it's the storyline of everything else. And so that wasn't lost on me in that moment. I just was like, this is insane. And he begins, you know, this doctor just begins to, to talk about, you know, what, what is around the throne of God? Like what illuminates from the throne of God? And I'm like, color, light. And he's like, right, and light is such a, an incredibly centerpiece to our, our very being. And so from light comes color and the reflection of color. And so if God is all about color, then God speaks through color. You can go online and you can study color in its fascination, and you can find out all of these beautiful things about color. But, you know, color is prophetic all on its own. And um, the palette for color and the meaning of color and what color actually does and how people see color and how the eye sees color. I mean, it's just fascinating. The, the last album I put out during COVID was called Light. And it was because the Lord had asked me to follow up the album called Battles or the album of Fight with an album of Light. And so I spent almost a year just really researching what God and scripture says about light you know, I'm, I'm, when I'm reminded about this doctor was saying, he's like, you, your nature, your makeup, your spirit man is gravitating toward the color from which your emotions and your body feel. And so when you're reaching into that, that box of crayons and you're coloring these compartments of the brain that you don't even know, unless you're some kind of a, a, brain doctor, or you've studied the brain, or you understand it from a scientific perspective, most of us don't know what those compartments are for. What we do know, what we have, you know, an understanding is, and what we're taught is that we function from the front lobal part of the 10% of our brain. You know, you hear that all the time. He even brought up kind of this idea that, you know, Jesus 
functioned perhaps with every compartment of his brain because scripture says that, you know, you know, after resurrection, he could, he could translate through walls and he could do miracles. He could do all these things. And so, you know, he was even kind of throwing out, this doctor was throwing out, you know, you, you have to play around with the possibility that was Christ given the function of functioning with all compartments of the brain? None of us understand that in our humanity, but is that a possibility that if we kept seeking, asking, knocking, seeking, asking, knocking, that we could open up parts of our brain that had an understanding attached to it, that had reasoning attached to it, that actually drew us away from some of the decisions that we make? Who knows? I mean, that's like, that's a crazy theory maybe, but there was a, a, a movie I saw years ago called Lucy with uh, Scarlett Johansson. And I mean, it's a B-rated movie. I don't think it went much anywhere, but I found it quite fascinating. And if you have seen it, you, you all know what I'm saying. But if you haven't, the, the whole premise for the movie was about this character. She gets uh, connected to the wrong people. And um, I think it was her boyfriend in the movie that got, got really connected with the wrong group. And this group had invented this pill that if you take the pill, you will all of a sudden have... Um, full brain capacity, like the more pills you take, the more, you know, you're, you're functioning at high, high levels of brain capacity, more than the 10%, obviously. And so Lucy has this bag kind of placed in her of, of all these pills in the bag bursts. And she has these incredible powers where she can move people out of the way and all these kind of things. So, so it's a wild, it's, it's wild to think, what if, like, what if? Because the brain is a marvelous organ. And what if, you know, there's a reasoning that God fashioned, put us there, formed us in that place, and he gave us this thinking lobe in our heads. And how fascinating really is it? And what is it in there that's waiting to be opened up that we've not opened up yet? And even in the, in the, in the little that we can. And so for me, I've had these experiences where things I never thought before, I'm like, huh. And I journeyed down these places and I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I never thought that was possible. And all of a sudden that's becoming possible because I'm exercising a part of my belief inside my thought process that is actually giving way to kind of an enlightening spiritual undertaking of the Lord saying, yeah, all you have to do is ask me. And, and I will make things known to you. Like he says that in scripture. And so if you want more of the Lord, you can have more of the Lord. Um, Ephesians talks about the love of the Lord being so high, so, so long, so deep, so wide. And then it says that it surpasses the knowledge of man. Like it surpasses the knowledge of man. And that just states to us in an understanding that is basic, that we can understand here, um, 101 basics is that if you try to find the depth of God's love or like, how much does God love? Like, is God's love just like, does it have an ending? No, it doesn't have an ending. But if you tried to research the ending, you never find the ending. And so essentially what it's saying is you could exercise all the rights to discovery, but you would never, ever find the end of it. And so what the conclusion of that verse should state to us is, oh, so if I want more of it, there's more of it that I could house. That's the um, 
aha moment for me. I was like, oh, this isn't about God's love is so high, so wide, so deep. I'm just like, I'm too stupid to understand it. I just need to receive it and just pull it in and just let it marinate in my bones. Yes. But understand as you pull it in that you can keep pulling it in and you could keep pulling it in and you could keep pulling it in and pulling it in. And then all of a sudden you would just be like, oh my gosh, his love is unending. When you get the love of the Lord, you get the peace of the Lord. So um, I'm in a, in a season now where I should probably be um, freaking out about many things in my life. But I had this encounter with the Lord where I was like, I don't want to keep walking this trail of fear over these certain things. And COVID brought out a lot of fear of, of finances, fear of structure, fear of events, you know, for people in my industry and what I do as a career. It's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? When, and we start to freak out and we start to spin out of control. And that was just my, my MO, right? I just would spin out of control. And the Lord and I finally had a heart to heart in, in this season of growth and finding balance. And he's like, you have to come to a peace where you stop, you stop wrestling with the fear and understand that my peace actually stitches up the fear so that when this comes again, you may feel it, but it's not going to do to you what it's done to you before because you have the peace in it. All of this is part of this process of like, of invitation to the Lord to come in and, and really eradicate bad thinking and eradicate bad theology. Because if you're relating with the Lord on a one-on-one -on -one level, God can reveal anything that he wants to reveal. But if you are subject to all these other things and all this other information, and you have all these other areas in your life that you have, um, you know, blockades and things like that, that are taking your attention, then you're actually you're not functioning at a capacity that God can actually speak to you where you can listen. And so it's such a need for us as people of faith and, and believers to, to pull in, God, would you, would you start to really change my thought process? Why do you think there is so much attack against the mind? Why do you think right now mental health is such a big subject? These are things that should make you guys go, hmm, like, why are things such a big deal? Why is child um, endangerment and trafficking such a big, I mean, it's one of the biggest things that's, that's happening. Like, because it's so prevalent, it's not like on our radar a lot. Like if you guys looked into this and really understood what was happening, there is an onslaught of attack against our children. Why? Like ask yourself the question, why? Why is there such a mental health issue right now? Why in COVID did we see the enemy go after our teens? Like I've never seen it happen ever before. Like it's happening. Why? There are things that I pull back and I'm like, okay, God, you're actually giving information here that you're waiting for us to actually catch up with you and be like, okay, share that with me. Like expand my horizons to understand that. And when you start engaging God in his fullness, he begins to show you things and it goes beyond the realm of how he even is as an artist. It's the communication of the artist that blows my mind. And so I, I was just brought to my knees in this doctor's office with, with, Dr. M, like reading my mail in a brain map. And, you know, it was interesting that I thought was so, like at first it scared me, but I had colored the front part of my brain um, the same as this other back part of my brain, which had to connect, he said, with an identity. Like the front part is what you say you believe, the back part is what you know you believe. 
And he says, a lot of times that those don't line up. Like we say things that we really don't believe. Um, you know, they're back there, but they haven't pushed themselves forward to actually function in a, in a full on identity belief. It's why we have such identity problems because we're saying something that isn't true and we're walking in this thing that isn't true because we've bought into it hook, line and sinker. So therefore it's the only truth that we know. And he's like, you've colored those two compartments, the same color. And that color is really important because that color dictates you will not say what you do not believe. And I was fascinated by that because I'm like, is that a bad, like, that's a good thing, right? That's not a bad, he goes, no, it's actually, it's a great thing to have. He said, but it's a very interesting thing to find in someone who pastors. And I was like, wait, what? And he said, yeah, he goes, I see a lot of pastors in here, but the, the front part and that, that back identity part usually are never colored the same color. They don't identify with one another. I'm like, well, what does that mean? He said, well, it means that you say one thing that you don't believe. You say one thing that you're not sure, really sure of. And then when he said that, I just was like, oh my God, the problem, you know, some of the biggest problems in the church is we've got lip service, but we don't have actual walking things out. And we need people in leadership who actually believe what they believe and say what they believe, and they don't waver from what they believe. Because the moment we start to waver from whether or not we believe God's real or whether or not we believe the Word of God is real, it's it, the whole thing kind of goes to hell in a handbasket. And so it was, an, it was a clear understanding of, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is such an a incredible tool for leadership in the church. His specialty, I think, was sexual abuse, that he's able to actually see the sexual abuse colored on the brain map, and then through an ongoing therapy, with through collages and artistic stuff, um, he would help people piece together how to, how to go back and repair or how to actually change the color of their now. So, you know, he made the statement that you could you could... You could go into deep therapy and come back two years later and get that same piece of paper and get the same box of crayons and you would mentally color it something totally different based on how your brain was reacting to the information that it was now reacting to. And so it was great hope because it said that we can change our thoughts. And what does scripture talk about all the time? By taking over the control of the mind, taking every thought captive. Why does scripture you know, talk about all these different things. We have to ask ourselves this question and be like, there's a reason behind this because God in his forming of us, God in, in his, in his explosion of putting us under the canopy of truth, basically, because we're walking around under truth all the time. Um, he's given us this ability. And the one thing he gave us was the choice, but sometimes our choice thwarts everything that we truly are supposed to be believing. And it's this long journey back to the garden. And some of us are in this long fight to get back to the original context of the garden. Um, let's talk about the garden for just a minute. And, and then I'm just going to go briefly into some physics and just some scriptures that have to do with, with something I just thought was quite fascinating. But, you know, in the, in the garden, when, when God makes the statement to them, like, you know, you could do anything you want, but don't touch the tree. And then the enemy comes and he finds Eve. He doesn't come to find Eve because she's weaker. She has something different than Adam has. So you have to understand, he may have been watching the whole time God do this. Doesn't care 
um, doesn't make a move when God creates the universe, doesn't make a move on day one, two, three, four. Um, but day six, God does this thing he's never done before. He puts a part of himself in the DNA of the making of man and woman. In fact, I always tell women this. I'm like, you know, we were made from the bone. And in our human makeup, what is the last thing that remains in the grave um, that has the ability throughout the course of time to carry the DNA, the bone, the very bone that a woman was actually fashioned out of. I just think that's so sweet that we were actually made out of that thing that carries the DNA, you know, that God put in, in both male and female, but for women, we were made from the bone. Um, man was made from, from the dust. And so he creates this, these, these beings to partner and to procreate together. And the enemy comes, watches this whole showdown, and then looks at him create Adam, doesn't make a move, watches him create Eve, and the enemy makes a move. And he makes this move toward Eve. And Adam's with her the whole time. So keep, if you're reading scripture correctly, Adam is right there with her the whole time. He's not off on a lazy boy watching a football game. He's with her the whole time. And so here is Eve and the enemy comes at her and he lies to her and he tries to get her to believe the lie and says, does God really say? And so he asks the question to create a response in her to actually think about what he has said and then try to humanize in her own understanding of what it is she's supposed to relate to this thing. So I don't know if, if there's shock there that the serpent is actually speaking, but the phenomenon was all over the garden. Phenomenon was all over the garden. And, and so he says, did God really say? And she says, yes, but he, he did say, you know, don't touch this um, or you will surely die. And the, the, the serpent says, you will not surely die. He's afraid that you're, you're going to get to be like him. So he throws out this lie that in some sense is like God's actually promised us that we could be more like him, but he throws out this lie, throwing it on God, which is actually when you look at the enemy later, when he tempts Jesus in the wilderness, it's like the same kind of, it's the same kind of lying technique that he does. And he says, you know, you will not surely die. And it just, this key verse in Genesis says when, when she saw in Genesis chapter three, when she saw that, the food was, you know, pleasing to the eye, great for gaining wisdom and beautiful. That's when she took of it and ate of it. Three things that she didn't need in the garden because she already had them for certain. She had all the food in the garden. She was in the be most beautiful place in the world. And wisdom was the God that pulled the bone from the side of her husband and fashioned her and then set her up in the garden with her husband, with him. And they could talk to him, walk with him, do everything with him. She was hanging out with wisdom all the time. And so he gets her to think that she doesn't have basically what she already has. And isn't that just like the enemy? If he can get you to believe that you don't house something that you already house, then he's got you ready to go and grab what you should never be grabbing or believe what you should never be believing. And that is the trickery. And it's the same trickery over and over and over and over that the enemy has the same trickery that he has, that he uses all the time. And so here we are, the great, you know, um, let down in scripture and God comes on the scene and God, you know, punishes the devil first. He punishes the enemy first and says, I'm going to actually put enmity between you and the woman. Doesn't say anything about Adam. Ladies, listen to me here. 
I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman because he came after the woman. And so he's going to get enmity to the woman. Why did he come after the woman? Because she had a womb. She had what Hebrew calls a rachayim, which is the house of mercy. Now, we have, you know, male, female have a spiritual rachayim, of course. But in Eve, in woman, he puts an actual resident place of housing and the enemy sees the difference in that and says, oh, she's who I need to go after because she's the one I get the most out of. Because if I can get to her, I can get to everything that she gives birth to. And we know that's a fact because when Eve gives birth to her firstborn, Cain, what does Cain end up doing later on? He kills Abel. And why does Cain kill Abel? Because he feels unseen by God. And so we have the first genetic problem where a woman is able to pull in something and pull in trauma and then give trauma over to her child if she never deals with it. So undealt with trauma is passed down, you know, in our gene pool to our children. And that's why it's so, it's so prevalent um, you know, medical history shows that there is genetic responsibilities to certain things. But when we look at this from a spiritual perspective, you know, the enemy was very crafty in the way he did it because he knew, oh, let me get to her because then she'll give birth to something that will be depleted and then they'll give birth to something that's depleted and it'll be a lineage that I can follow that I could just keep attacking and attacking and attacking and attacking. So Adam was only needed to get to the seed. But Eve was the one he wanted because he could get to a womb. So if he, could, if he could birth a deceit in her, birth a lie in her, she would carry the lie and not know what to do with the shame of it. And that's exactly what happened, right? It's what not only you know, women struggle with today, but, but it's, it's in both the lineage of male and female because every male comes from a female. And so this is kind of the great shutout in the garden where I think one of the most you know, saddest things that God has to do is lead them to the door of the garden and, and shut them out of the garden. And that's their kind of their plight. The, the woman's plight is leaning against her husband, uh, submitting to him. I believe that in just studying out scripture, that the reason he did that wasn't um, in the sense of, you know, submit to your husband, do everything that he says. I think the husband was with her and didn't be the hero. He wasn't the hero. Scripture said she turned to her husband, gave some of the fruit, and he ate of it as well. And then they both were under that um, banner of darkness there and sin. And so I think that, that God's requirement of Eve to submit to her husband was, you need a leaning post, and he's got to learn to be the hero. And then he turns to Adam, and he has Adam actually become this the ground's going to have to yield to him before the ground just yielded to him. But now he'd have to work the ground to get the ground to yield to him. And then he says to Eve, which is all of our applied as women is that we would feel childbirth pains, which when you think about that, ladies, I mean, if she hadn't sinned, like was childbirth going to be a breeze? Because the picture of that just seems awful and painful. So I don't know what the plan of the Lord was prior to that, but you know, she feels childbirth pains, but I've never met a woman that if, has ever talked about, you know, um, having a baby that remembers that pain so much that she doesn't get pregnant a second time or tries to get pregnant a second time, um, where it's just so horrifying that she doesn't, women are having baby after baby after baby. So even in the midst of that, look at the mercy of God. Like I'm going to give you this curse over your life that you're going to have to maintain and walk in 
but it's not so bad because the minute the baby's laid on your chest, the pain is obsolete and the gift is what you've been given. I mean, the mercy of God in scripture blows my mind, which I know that's a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but I'm just going to segue back to this. I mean, this is hours and hours and weeks and weeks probably of talking about creative expression. And I have never felt so opened up in this. You know, when I, when I met Dr. M and talked about, you know, the, the beauty of, of the brain and the brain mapping and understanding that from that perspective and opening up my mind saying, oh my gosh, God, God's color-coded me. He's color-coded me in my seasons. And I, I want to become the best colors that I can be. And I want to be thriving colors. And I don't want my colors to be so dark because, you know, even in my session with him, he was talking about, you know, the bottom forms of the compartments of my brain. He says, you've colored these, these darker colors that bleed into darker colors, which means that your process here is the questioning of God's, of God's sovereignty in your life, the questioning of God's um, business in your life. And is God ever, will God ever? He's like, I don't know if those are questions that you ask. I mean, it was right on the money. It was very prophetic. But that, that really kind of lit up another part of me to remember this season I had with the Lord where I, I just, I entered this different season. I, I talked about it earlier. I, I, I was supposed to do this record and I felt like the Lord said, you're not going to sit behind a, an instrument. You're going to do this a different way. And so I was like, well, if I can't sit behind an instrument, I put actually somebody else in front of an instrument and I begin to pace back and forth, pace back and forth. And I'd be like, what am I supposed to do? And he said, I don't know, Rita, go to the wall. Go to the, the inanimate object and beat on it. Beat on a kitchen table and ask me for a sound to come out of the kitchen table. Ask me for some fresh thing to come out of that object. Do it the way you've never done it before. Because unless you try it, you'll never know. And I remember thinking, gosh, this is so stupid. I'm beating on a kitchen table. And, and while I'm beating on the kitchen table like an idiot, feeling like an idiot, being like, oh, a song's going to come out of the kitchen table by beating on the kitchen table. And maybe that's like what people do. Maybe a whole tribe of people beat on kitchen tables to find their music. But I'd never done that up to that point. And all of a sudden, I hear this sound coming in my head and I'm hearing this melody line and I'm hearing these lyrics. And I remember I just started singing this song coming out and, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm singing this song, I'm singing this song. And then I, I put somebody in front of the piano, you know, I had a, a piano player at the time just sitting down and she'd call up the, the key that I was singing in. And she's like, well, this is the progression that you're playing, you're singing. And, and that's how I made the entire album that ended up being called. We did it in two different ways. One was called The Playlist and, and the live was called the, the In This Forever. And those songs were written in that season of having to do things in a completely different way than I've ever done them before. And it was this brilliant season. You know, it wasn't about the album being this amazing record. I mean, in the middle of that, I remember the gal that used to play piano for me, we had to drive from Charlotte to Atlanta one night. And when Justice was really little, um, he started showing signs of possible autism. And, um, and so I took him to these doctors and um, this gal that played the piano, she would write these like ethereal loops, like she was a looper. And so she would record everything and she would write these um, loops. And that was her intercession for him. And she opened up this file on the way this four and a half hour trip from Charlotte to Atlanta to do a church one night that we drove through the night. And 
in the course of that four and a half hours, we just started writing this kind of imaging heap record that I never fully released called um, Be Quiet, where it was just these sounds and these, you know, scriptures that we were singing. And, and it was kind of just doing things before anybody was ever doing them. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, there's no Christian imaging heap right now. Nobody's doing loops like this right now. And here we were making this record that, that, you know, we didn't have a plan or a purpose for it. I certainly didn't. And it's one of my favorite things to go back to because it's just so vibey. And no, it's not out there. No, you can't download it. But it really is just this beautiful vibe of, of just creative combustion. And it was one of the most unique seasons of my life because I was just like, I mean, who is this God that is willing to give you something that you didn't have yesterday because you ask him for it today? And that just opened up and broadened up the season of my life where I just was like, I love this. I love this. And I started asking God um, questions uh, like, okay, so I'm not a designer God, but um, I want to rearrange the furniture in my living room. So do you know where things go? I mean, I was, I started to ask God stuff like that. And I would hear God say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a great designer. I know where things go. And I would test him. I'd be like, okay, where do I rearrange the furniture? And I would just listen to the Lord. And the Lord would say, put the couch over there, put this there, put that mirror right there, put this right there. And then to test, I would call my, I called my designer friend when I first did this and just said, Hey, can you come over and, um, just, give me help on where to put these things. And she walked into the house and she's like, what do you need help with? Everything is like precisely located where a designer would put it based on lighting, based on, you know, angle. And I just, I never said a word. I was like too afraid to tell anybody what was happening because I just was like, what's happening to me? Like, what is happening to me? And then I would just ask the Lord stuff like, what about cooking? Like, can you teach me how to cook great stuff? like out of a, that's outside of a cookbook. And he's like, oh my gosh, I'm a great cook. I mean, I, I, I invented every natural food. Like I'm a great cook. And then I started having these dreams that I was on God's cooking channel and Jesus was the chef and he was making these elaborate meals. And when I would wake up, I would remember the recipes and then I would like make these recipes for people that would come over and they'd be like, oh my gosh, this is such a great meal. Where did you get this recipe? And I was like literally um, frozen. I, I didn't want to say, uh, um, you know, in the beginning I was like, I didn't want to say I had a dream, uh, that I was on God's cooking network and, and he, he had this recipe that I remembered when I woke up because I felt like people were just going to think I was absolutely ludicrous until I realized that I was having an experience that not very many people wanted to have with the Lord. And and my life just opened up, like my whole idea of creative expression just opened up. And I, I remember I taught this um, six-week course in worship leading for this Bible college. And um, the Holy Spirit said to me, hey, let's not teach on like common worship leading. Let's do something different. And I said, what you, well, what? And he said, physics. Let's teach on physics. And I said, Lord, I don't know anything there is to know about physics. And he said, oh, that's okay. I know everything there is to know about physics. And he said, and I'm going to give you some stuff that relates to things. And, and so when we're in school and we learn like the, the first law of physics and, and, and you're, you're thinking about objects in motion and the force of objects in motion 
and you know the equal to what has to be um, its mass acceleration. You know, all those things that we learned in, in physics class that half of us can't even remember. It almost gets so heady that you can't. And so he just began to simply format for me frequencies and physics and, and just kind of, I started to read up on some things in frequencies and physics. And, you know, I'm not a big studier of physics. I, I wish maybe I'd gone back to college and studied it just to understand what some of the things that the Lord was saying. Um, but you know, when you, when you look at frequencies and you look at frequencies in terms of physics or, or in, in frequency waves, I mean, you've got I mean, this is so heady, but, you know, you've got the, the periodic motions, you've got vibrations, you've got, you know, velocity and harmonics, and you've got all those kind of things. And I, I when I talked to the Lord, I, I talked to him from this perspective of, you, know, you throw a stone in water and it reverberates, there's a frequency to it, that, you know, the frequencies are all around us. When we wave our, our when we wave goodbye to somebody, there's a frequency going on in our wave, like everything we're doing has a frequency and water is a massive carrier of frequency. So the Lord started to speak to me about water. And he said, you know, Rita, um, you know, the some of the verses in scripture that you read about that have water in them and that actually kind of signify the sound of my voice like uh, psalm 29 3 you know says you know uh, the voice of the lord um is over the waters the god of glory thunders and the lord thunders over the mighty waters um and it talks about the the god's voice like being the water like being the thunderous water and 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 over those those waters uh, in ezekiel it talks about you know the sound of of creatures' wings, like the roar of rushing waters and the voice of the Almighty. And um, there, there's places, even in Revelation, it's like, you know, it talks about, uh, in, in Revelations 1.15, it talks about, you know, his feet being like bronze and glowing in a furnace and his voice like the, the sound of, of rushing waters. And so we, we read these scriptures where God's voice is this water and the Lord began to speak to me. He said, hey, what are you made up mostly of in your physical, natural body? And I'm like, oh my God, it's water. He's like, right. And so I did a study on that. You know, we're born throughout our life. We're born with a mass, you know, I think it's like 70%, you know, a man is like 65, 70%, you know, liquid content basically in our humanity, our human form. The most of that mass is liquid that's, that we're, we're made up. We're not a hundred percent. No. Um, and the older that we get, we lose that mass, but we are a frequency of liquid content. Remember when Christ was crucified and the spear went through the side that water gushed out of his side. All of these things are relevant. All of these things are revelatory when it, as it relates to scripture. And so I'm having this conversation with the Lord about frequencies and the Lord says to me, you know, um, I'm not saying in scripture that my voice is like the sound of an ocean. And I was like, you're not. And he goes, no, I mean, the scriptures say that the voice of the Lord is a sound of rushing waters, but what is the rushing water? Like, he's like, what if I'm saying the sound of my voice is the clearest when my people who are called by my name and humble themselves and become a unified frequency where the frequency, the liquid, actual physical liquid content in their mass begins to reverberate a, a frequency that has a vibration and an intonation to it that when unified with each other actually becomes the living audible sound of my voice. And 
maybe that's too wild of a concept to pull in, but, but that blew me away and put me on a platform and a place with the Lord where I was like, Oh, you're no joke. Like you're not joking around about this stuff. And if there's scriptures to back up some of this stuff, what are you actually saying about all of this? And I just think it's brilliant of the Lord. I think if there's this thing in you that believes that you are, are gifted to a certain extent or you, you have never explored or experienced a side of God that, that brings you a, um, an open space in your head where you're like, I've just never thought about that before. Like, I've never thought. I mean, I don't walk into writing rooms anymore thinking I don't have anything to offer because I actually know the best songwriter in the world that if I need a lyric from, I can go and ask. But it took me becoming a mature person to feel like I had the right to ask it because I'd been treating God like he was just this big thing on a throne that looked like Santa Claus in a religious mentality to say, knock, knock, knock. Is it okay if I come in and, and I'll wipe my feet at the mat, um, but can I come in and just talk to you for a few minutes about this problem and not realize that, oh my gosh, I have access to the whole house. In fact, I have a key that's got my name on it that I can come and go anytime I want. He'll meet me anywhere I want. And he'll, he'll talk to me about anything I want to talk about. And he'll actually explain things to me. And I, I'm just trying to create this picture for so many of you guys to, to think outside the box, to think outside this religious box that some of us have got our, ourselves into and realize that the dots that are connecting you to maybe some of the greatest things you've ever done, go back and, and think, who connected those dots? You know, can, can the enemy give us favor? I think the enemy can make you think you have favor by aligning you with people that think like you do and do what he's asking you to compromise in. And there is a world of dark favor. But when you're connecting the dots with people um, that are unified with Christ and you look back on your life and you're like, oh my gosh, I would have never found that. I would have never found that. I've never found that if I hadn't allowed God to become bigger and become a bigger picture than I'd ever thought he was. And I think these are just really beautiful thoughts to think about as we process creative expression and how it relates toward scripture, how it relates toward God, how it relates toward the friendship of God. And I want to stir the pot. I want to, I want to make you think about God as the most fascinating, beautiful, brilliant artist that there ever was and how everything in you that's creative, the rights to it cannot be given to hell. The compromise of it can be. But if God gave you something to do in your brilliance and you're not doing it to honor the Lord and you're not doing it with an honor that God gave that to you, um, maybe rethink that because you're in line for the enemy to come in and actually distort your anointing. And for those of us that carry these creative things and even these creative weapons, so to speak, let's start thinking outside the box. Let's start thinking, oh my gosh, you know, God wants me to be a part of this great big dream of perhaps finding our way back to the garden so that we could live under the canopy of the truth and then walk out what he's asked us to walk out in truth and the spirit and the truth. 
So I hope that makes sense. We're going to talk more about this in our next episode. We're going to have a guest, pull in a guest and, and um, kind of dissect some thoughts on this guest. So uh, anyway, blessings to all of you. And we look forward to being together again with you on, I look forward to being together again with you on this next podcast. Bye.